One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Look, I know we're all passionate sports fans, okay? We all think our own team is the best, and the players who play for that team are untouchable. But really, everybody needs to calm down a little bit when it comes to these frivolous end of year awards shows. The amount of outrage. Around Conor Callaghan not getting nominated for the RT Award, or Anthony Joshua, or whoever being overlooked for the BBC version, is laughable. People, don't get your knickers in a twist. These awards are total fluff, and they do not matter. Except when the Dubs get beaten to Team of the Year by a bunch of bleeding show jumpers, Ken and Murph. Now that was a disgrace. Uh, Hello and welcome, World Service members, non-World Service members, one and all, to Monday Second Captain's podcast. I see you've got a pitchfork at the ready on that one, Ken. Youth boys are getting shafted. Getting shafted. First, Stephen Cluxton snubbed in the All Stars. Then Jim. Seriously, like this litany of. You just gotta sit there and take it, Ken. Cluxton snubbed in the All Stars. Jim Gavin got robbed. Got robbed twice, Ken. Robbed of the Phillips Sports Manager of the Year award. And. By the. Uh, oh, and of the RTE Manager of the Year award. Who won that? Leighton O'Brien. Right. You kidding me? Okay. Well, he was robbed. Uh, yeah, he, he. It was. It was awful. But you know, it's no surprise to me that the establishment is against the dubs. You know. Well, they are, Ken. The establishment and the people who publicly voted for. Well, listen. Either way, the elites, Ken. The online the, establishment. The, the establishment has had to swallow a lot of bitter blue pills in recent <laughs> years. Uh, uh, to be fair, it's pretty, it's pretty blatant. I mean, yeah. the people just don't like him, and that's it. They're getting, the Dublin, the Dublin football team won the three in a row this year. They're, you know, they're pretty much the best team that's ever played the game. That's ever played in, in Irish sports. The Irish equestrian team, European champions, and congratulations to them. Con- and congratulations to them, Ken, and I mean that. Dublin are European champions as well, but. You know, World come champions. on, come on, people. World champions. You know, it's a bit much. What do you make of James McLean getting sports person? Well, un- <laughs> he wouldn't have been my he wouldn't have been my pick. It was a fine finish against Wales. Yeah, that was a tremendous moment. Seven of the best best moments of the year in Irish football, certainly. Um, yeah. Well, the Duffy goal against Denmark was pretty good, but things. things I mean, you could have given it to Shane Duffy, given that it is literally just one moment. That we're now voting on. Well, McLean was was good throughout the year. Come on, McLean's had a, had a good year, his best year uh, at Irish International. Well, no, were a lot of those good performances not in 2016, though? Well, look, one of them at least, though. The, the, the Austria game yeah, was, yeah. was 2016, November. He was the best player on a team who won two games in 2017. Two competitive games. Uh, well, now you're massaging the numbers there to suit your own ends. Well, two competitive wins in 2017. Yeah, I'm saying. They play a lot less games than... I, I many mean, other sports look, teams. Okay, well, if they'd only played <laughs> four games, though, it's still only a 50% I'm now, I'm, now getting, I'm now getting worked up over the sports awards, which I well, no, you should have lectured other people No, not you to should. Do. Sometimes but it's who, just who so ridiculous. The, who, who was the competition? So Katie Taylor, was the, Katie Taylor is the bookie's favourite. Evan's favourite, yep. Who uh, else were we looking at that people were talking about? Joe Canning. Uh, Connor Murray is the best scrum half in the world. We're going to uh, talk to Joe. brilliant for the Lions. Joe Ward wasn't getting a look in, although we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking to Joe Ward. We are going to be talking to Joe Ward this week. down. They didn't win too said. many games, did they? Did Conor Murray win a, win a whole bunch of games at a top level and win loads of trophies? Don't, didn't think so. Joe Ward, Ken, won his third European gold medal and his third world medal 
in the same year. Yeah. I mean, that's I a mean, lot of, that's I mean, a lot of come good on. stuff. That's probably more than McLean did. Conor McGregor wasn't even nominated, despite being in, <laughs> let's be fair, by far the highest profile sporting event of the year involving an Irish person. Oh, well, if McGregor had won, if McGregor had yeah. knocked Floyd May- Mayweather clean out in the fifth round, I might have said he was in in the running, yeah. certainly. <laughs> so just one punch makes a difference as far as you're concerned. <laughs> well, of course. One or a couple of dozen. Yeah, a number of concussive blows, probably in that case. Chris Froome survived his grilling on BBC Sports Personality of the Year. I don't know if you watched any of this last no, night. No, he, he, he was there. No, he was on a link-up. Right, so what did they, they They did the bit at the end when... He wasn't really grilled, Ken. He was asked one obligatory question. By who? Claire Balding. Right. So he was asked three questions, one of which was, great year, Chris, you know, Tour of France, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's a Vuelta as well. Well done on the Vuelta. Pity about the old asthma flaring up. But <coughs> so she congratulated him on his year, then asked him a question along the lines of, what do you make of the whole thing that's swirling around you there? You know, his, 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 his no, she asked him about the... She did, doping positive. She asked him one question about... Adverse analytical finding. Adverse what, analytical what is, what is, is that what we call doping positive? Mm. And he looked extremely awkward in answering, um, blathered away for a little while, said that he took didn't take any more than the required... than the permissible levels of... Pu- amount of puffs is the way he was talking about it. And the final question was then, what's the plan now? Which I would have thought, if you really wanted to defend yourself, you could have taken that as another question about mm. the adverse analytical finding. You could have said, well, the plan is to fight it to the nail, etc., etc. He said, oh, the plan is to go and win the Tour de France again next year, and the Giro, of course, I'm doing the Giro next year. Of course. So there wasn't really a, a grilling. It's more entertaining, though. Maybe entertaining is the wrong word. It was more smooth than their attempts to give Mo Farah his award. Well, I mean... He was also a, on a link-up, which kept breaking amazing. down his, fa- his kid for some reason... His young kid was in the first video with him, was crawling, woke up, said that it, it basically pans to Mo Farah. This is before he's won the award. It's just the chat that they have with each of them. The camera's there. Mo Farah's got his little kid. Kid, I don't know, very young child. The kid seems to have just awoken as the camera switches onto them. Looks really a bit all over the shop, as you would in that situation. Mm. Starts crying, starts acting up, starts doing kid-like things. Yeah, They often do this kind of thing. Mo is trying to calm the child a little bit and just make sure everything's okay. Eventually, the kid has to be taken away out of screen, by which point he's already destroyed the sound quality because Mo Farah's microphone is somewhere on his lap. Oh, right. So Farah's talking and all this. Then when they go, when he wins the award, there's one brief moment where they go back to him and he looks shocked and happy and all that kind of stuff. And then this, oh, this is this horrible noise and suddenly a bright blue screen saying error in connection or something along those oh, lines. No. Throwing your kids into an interview like that, it, like... Hit me now with the child in my arms? Is that yeah, what you're that, well, I mean, I see it here in uh, Second Captain's Towers quite a bit, actually, Ken. I time Simon Hicks running a little late. Sorry, oh, always, had to do yeah. the school run. And all, we'll always put in a photograph of one of his yeah. admittedly very beautiful Human children. shields, one of his two little human shields. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, sorry. I know you hate me for being late, but here's my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't hate her, right? So, I mean, I, you know, it's pretty much the oldest trick in the book. I mean, Mo does, he does feel extremely aggrieved about his treatment at the hands of journalists who continue to ask him questions about his coach. Uh, and, it, you know, maybe sometimes he just thinks, here, listen, let's just throw a kid into the mix here. Let's see if that softens their snot a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Mo Farah and Chris Froome, what a pair. Uh yeah. Awards don't matter. That's be very proud. Yeah. Four <laughs> wins from four again for the Irish teams in Europe. Three from three in the Champions Cup for a second week running. We're going to talk to Shane Horgan and Jerry Thornley. And we're going to chat about yesterday's Leinster football final. Leinster club football final with normal time running out. Moorfield from Kildare were six points down against St. Lomans of Westmeath. A minute into injury time, the lead held strong at five points. It was all over, wasn't it? Well, let's just hear Jerry McNally and Peter McConnon from KFM talk you through the final stages. Murray, this is Murphy's chance. They have to make this count. James Murray, they must get a goal from this as the tournament's are done. Murray inside the road, it's Sweeney! Ah! Sweeney in the back of the net! On the ground, Aino Connor strikes it. 
is going to call it. It's over the bar. And Morfield, who was down and buried just seconds ago, and now only a single point. And Mullins, heading for a goal. Under the 20, jumping over the bar. Off the head of Dallas. And Morfield at that level. Unbelievable. Morfield in front of the witness. What's going to happen? Oh, he's struck it terribly. It's gone away. It's kept in place. Kevin Mullins, it's over the bar. Oh, it's over the bar. And that's surely, surely it's the last kick of the game. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Jer and Peter are helped along by Bernard Flynn and Brian Carthy on Radio 1-2. We'll be chatting to Ronan Sweeney, who scored the goal that set Moorfield up for that insane uh, comeback. What a comeback. One for the ages, uh, on. Uh, I was... Oh, yeah, so I was uh, having breakfast with my wife last Sunday week when news came through. Uh, she was watching very ardently the updates for snow because she really wanted some snow. And it popped up, she goes, oh, there's some game has been cancelled. I was like, oh, God, the, is it the Leinster Club final? She was like, yes, that's what it is. And uh, I was like, hmm, they're pl- probably going to replay that next week. She said, if you were playing football, still playing football, on December the 17th, mm-hmm. like, that would, I, I'm just not putting up with that anymore. That would just be, like, to be fair, it's eight days before Christmas. It's utterly absurd that these guys are playing games Eight days before Christmas. As it turns out, probably the best game of football played in, 20, played, played in 2017. So maybe they've stumbled onto something there. I think so. Look, I know we've had our differences with our Monday-only listeners. What with us providing you with two podcasts a week and asking for just a small contribution so that we can give you one every single day. But Christmas is a time for forgiving, I think. So consider yourself absolved of your sins. Not all your sins, obviously, just the sin of freeloading. Your only penance <laughs> is to go on to secondcaptains.com immediately and rectify the situation by signing up to join the World Service family. Boy, have we got you lovely people who are signed up covered this Christmas New Year. We're going to be making our annual pilgrimage to our Christmas cabin in the snow and spend the big day together, just the five of us, and maybe Richie if he can make it into studio, I mean cabin. Make it into our log cabin there. This week we have a new political podcast with Ken coming up. We have interviews with Joe Ward. Last week we discussed the Chris Froome affair and also spoke to Leinster and Ireland's Adam Byrne. And that's all before we get to our Gangs All Here shows from the Liberty Hall Theatre where Laura Kennedy, Irish Times columnist, and Ewan McKenna got stuck into a great chat about Conor McGregor. Say hello to our listeners, everybody! Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We gonna swing as one. He he was a kind of working class Irish hero, um, a symbol for young men of what they could be if they you know worked hard and had self belief. Um, and for that reason, I think he's just captured a zeitgeist. You've mentioned the last month or two. Has your opinion <laughs> changed? Has your, your support wavered at all? Uh, yeah. I mean. When, when your dad is there, you always have to be like a little bit more reserved because you always felt like a, a mini. You felt like a mini coach. Yeah, you? I got that exactly as well. And like my dad, especially, would have always been tough on me and always put me on the worst team. You can go to the same therapist together and talk about <laughs> it. It'll be fine. I think if, if you're one of those, you know, terrifying people on Twitter who loves McGregor no matter what he does, you really lack perspective. You can't love anyone, you know, who behaves that way you should readjust your assessment of someone's character based on their behavior i always said when he got the mayweather fight which i don't even consider a boxing match it's a freak show i said this is an absolute disaster you mckenna and laura kennedy joined us in dublin that's going to be broadcast on the world service this week if you're not a member you also miss our exclusive interviews with killian o'connor and joey carberry on there with shane so what exactly are you waiting for secondcaptains.com five euro a month plus vat why not get it done now so that we can all start 2018 together with a blank slate? And that sounds fair. The rest of you, as you were, you're all doing a great job. Back-to-back clean sweeps by the Irish provinces are on the agenda uh, today with Jerry Thorney and Shane Horgan. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good, thank you. Shane, good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. We're putting Munster's win on top of this agenda, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's recency bias to a certain extent, but I think it's fair enough to put it up there, isn't it, despite stiff competition? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was a... Cracking day, cracking occasion. You could have had the floodlights on in Leicester, Stroke, Birmingham at around three o'clock. It was so dank and dark and, and mist rolled in over the ground. You couldn't even see the, 
the the first stand fully, and uh, it was a very febrile atmosphere. Tigers wanted revenge for a week before. Um, they've never been beaten back-to-back. Nobody ever beats Leicester twice back-to-back. Um, seven times they've been in the position, always at Welford Road. Six times they won, once they drew. And um, they were too fired up for their own good. Um, they came out and conceded 11 penalties to two in the first half. And that was a big, big bearing on the game because Munster stayed cool. I thought Leicester wanted to drag them into a barroom scrap. And Munster said, no, we're just going to stay composed and calm here. And it needed a very strong referee. And luckily, they had one of the strongest around. I think Matthew Reynal is an exceptionally good referee. And uh, then, um, and so it did, Leicester started very well and had a 10-3 lead, scored a good try after disconnecting the Munster defence from Matthew Tate, who was one of their best players. And they let it slip through their own ill-discipline. And Ian Keatley, who recovered from a couple of early knock-ons, he's just a different player now. He's the same player, but with just a different mindset. And he guided the ship home and all their big guns came out to play. And a lot of the fringe players like Sam Arnold, Alex Wooten, um, Kevin O'Byrne, the hooker, had big, big games too. And I thought they well deserved the win. They took their chance. Um, and I'm just looking at it the first half. It was just crazy what some of the Leicester Tigers penalties they were giving away. Like the fifth one against Dan Cole personally <laughs> was just like, did he think he was playing in red or he was on the wrong side of the rock? That, that's an ejection. I think that's an ejection in an NBA match if you have five personal fouls. Well, I tell you what, it'd be an ejection under Joe Schmidt. Imagine conceding five penalties under Joe Schmidt and a yellow card in the first half. Taxi for Cole. You're out of here. It actually looked like self sabotage. It was <laughs> so just... obvious. He looked like he wanted a yellow card. Yeah. It was just I've me. never seen anything like it. For somebody at that level of the game, English fans love him. English coaches love him. Leicester love him. Like he's he's this sort of this type of prop that they love, and he's you know an amazing career. But that is just one of the worst errors I've ever seen. I don't know Peter Romani, CJ Stander, and Conor Murray. Munster's three lines gave away one penalty between them. They all have big yeah. games. They're all effective. Sure, Peter Romani and Conor Murray were slightly at fault for the try. Murray's grubber kick, which looked like a tactic, backfired when Johnny made. Made, made the breakout from the back, which got Leicester back into the game in the second half. But they were the three lines. Dan Cole is Leicester's only line, and that's the way he kind of inspired his team. And he was just completely over the top. It was ill-disciplined, and it cost his team heavily. Shane, I was thinking during the game that is is aggression now nearly a negative sometimes in a game in that they Leicester remind me of like a, a tired heavyweight boxer who was just trying to throw flailing punches at this smarter, composed, smaller opponent who who just kind of knew what was coming, but it just seemed like a negative for them. The more angry they got, the worse they played. Well, I think there's a difference between anger and, and aggression, and aggression still remains a, a massive part of, of rugby and vitally important. And Jerry mentioned how well Keatley is getting on this, you know, this year. looks like a, a different player, and I think one of the reasons that he, he's looking good, you know, his own personal development, but also the um, lead in that uh, that forward pack has been given him. It's been a completely uh, re-energised um, performance by the Munster packs in, say, the last 18 months. And it does make the job of the, um, the fly half much easier. But, you know, aggression remains and will always be a key part of uh, rugby. But it's been a long time since uncontrolled aggression was any part of, of rugby. And you really come across as a bit of a clown when you, you, you know, you move over the line from controlled aggression to just you know to just outright aggression that's what what Cole did you know I suppose from a team perspective you're looking at trying to have as few a few penalties as you want I think there's the gold standard is eight you know some people hit five he did five by himself it's, it was ludicrous and you know that performance in itself always almost meant it was near impossible for for Leicester to come out and, uh, on top when you're when you're giving away that many level of penalties at, at such crucial points. I think this question might get the same treatment as my one about Matt O'Connor's comments last week, Shane. But I'll give it a go anyway. It was Jordan Murphy giving out this time. This was him speaking. Jordan Murphy's coaching with Leicester these days. This is him speaking to BT Sport during the match. Oh, I think we just have to hold on to the ball. We're not getting a lot from the referee. Um, you know, we were pretty disappointed with the way he refereed the first half. Ten-two uh, penalty count. And, you know, I think weekends like this you give you an opportunity to watch a lot of. Football and, and I've seen a lot of penalties given in, in line out more formation for the lifter being in front of the catcher and, and we really didn't see any of those uh, yeah, penalised in the first half so um, he's a uh, bit of a conundrum for us at the minute trying to figure him out uh, but we've got to be better with our discipline we've got to probably play a little bit more territory in that uh, we're getting killed down here Jordan it's Hugo here L- last week you were clearly frustrated at the breakdown today discipline again are you equally as frustrated at the referee as you are your players actually not being able to adjust on the pitch 
Oh yeah, I, I think you know it's it's very different in Europe than it is to, in the Premiership. I think we're quite lucky with the, with the standard that we have in, in the Premiership, and, and it's a uh, you know we want a free flowing game, so you're not seeing tacklers in the back of the tackle. Jerry, I'll actually throw the one at you because mm-hmm. you've already said that the referee was actually very strong. Jordan Murphy doesn't seem to think so. He seems to think that the standard of referees they get in the Premiership is a lot better than what we saw on Saturday night or last night. There's no doubt there might have been some different interpretations. I was speaking to Dunnock O'Callan afterwards and there were a couple of penalties against uh, Leicester that in the English Premiership wouldn't have been given. But that being said, you look at the Dan Cole one. I remember Tom Young's coming around the side. They were quite wild at the breakdown and quite wild in the way they defended the mall as well, coming in from the side as well. And a lot of those penalties were eminently avoidable and just a good, strong referee, which is what Matthew Raynal is. He's one of the top referees in the world. In the book I did with Warren Gatlin, his lines to her diary, he described him as the best scrum referee in the world. Mm. And uh, he, 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 he just, he, I think he referees very fairly. And uh, yeah, Matt O'Connor might complain after. I think Matt O'Connor done a, dug a little bit of a, a grave for himself and for Leicester by um, blaming Jerome Garcia so heavily after the first match. Uh, it put the focus on, put pressure on Reynal. And it's just not a good way to go about your, your, your dealings with um, referees and it was interesting by comparison to Jordan Murphy after this game at the press conference yesterday when asked about the officials said I've no comment to make of the officials <laughs> Yeah I guess the thing is you're also everybody Renal refereed the Crusaders Lions match and incurred the wrath of the Crusaders fans as well because of the way he interpreted scrums he's just a good strong referee Well yeah and also you would know how he's going to referee it's not as though a referee well, you, they shouldn't do this anyway he's going to suddenly become a very different type of ref in a given game they, they studied the referee as much as they study any other aspect of the game I would have thought and maybe it does have the, the hint of sour grapes about it but I suppose a lot of teams if, if, you, concede an, if you concede 11 penalties to 2 in the first half of a very very you important yourself, moment, yeah. you have to look at yourselves did Munster outsmart Leicester Shane clearly they did by not giving away a ridiculous amount of penalties but just, just in general did they, did they show a bit more intelligence in how they went about it I just felt they were more comfortable in everything they did. They were a little bit more sure about themselves. I think it was very clear um, after the last game that all the kind of pressure was on uh, Leicester to de- try and deliver a performance, especially in front of the home crowd. But um, that expectation sort of got to them in some of the ways that we've, we've just discussed. But also, it just never seemed to affect Munster in the way they delivered their game plan and you know w- without ever looking as if they were going to streak away just felt as if they were you know comfortable throughout the defensive system was pretty comfortable um peter O'Mahony had a you know an excellent game as man of the match he wouldn't but he wouldn't have been happy with his defending for the uh for the uh, Leicester try um but you know in, in all there was very few times where you thought they yeah, they were they were came under you know, sort of pressure, but you never felt as if they were in a situation where they were going to they were going to break. And and you know ultimately uh, it was a it was a you know a very dogged, um, firm performance. But uh, to some degree, it was comfortable as well. I think you made a very valid point. They did outsmart them. Just take the line out for example. Uh, the official stats gave them three steals. I thought it was more than that. Uh, I thought it was at least four, if not five, because you threw the quality of the ball that was affected from the Leicester line out. They'd done their research, and it was from an O'Mahony steal that Conor O'Mahony. Conor Murray made made hay through the gap and CJ Stander scored the try so it had a very telling impact on the scoreline as well and I think that was obviously very good video work and analysis by Jerry Flannery and the backroom team in the build up to the game on on the uh, Leicester line out and it was a huge bearing on the game Shane we've talked a lot and you've been quite critical about how Munster have handled the whole Razzie Erasmus leaving of the club and the the fact that it has left them in a little bit of a muddle in, in the middle of the season but Van Crown has come in, whatever work has been done by uh, Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones and these guys seems to be rock solid and he's just come in and it all looks very easy. It's, it's absolutely fine. There's no bother at all. Well, it's, it's, it's a perfect situation for him. Um, and I, I do think we just you need to like separate you know what his influence is. I don't know directly what his influence has been in, over the last couple of weeks, but I would say negligible. Um, what what we has been reconfirmed is what I think that what, is I think what we already knew that Munster have um, in in Jerry and Felix two uh, really well informed, dedicated, smart coaches. Um, that were, you know, that I think were probably in a position to, to, to step up between them and, you know, run the show themselves. Now, um, I don't know their feelings on that. And if, um, you know, if, it can, if, if um, Van Grand comes in and you know, this success continues, then, you know, who's to say that wasn't, the, the, you know, the, there was no issue with, with that, the way they proceeded. But I think what we have to do is be very clear on where the basis for these performances have been. And I think we can see very much the fingerprints of, of Jerry and Felix in them right, right throughout. 
You're right, Shane. I mean, some of the Omani steals, almost they, they were on the Leicester throw, but they looked like a Munster throw. He was taking them so clean. It was as if he was reading the Leicester calls. It was ridiculous. But just to go back to your point on Van Graan, even if his decision over the last few weeks has been to step aside and let these coaches take the reins, that shows a certain type of intelligence, doesn't it? Uh, it does, you know, and, and listen, what, what can you say? I, I think if he, if he did come in and, and, and try and you know, change the style of, of Munster or, or you know, uh, bring in some entirely uh, different ideas that weren't, that weren't um, sort of on the same path that, that Munster were moving towards, then I, I would think we would say, okay, that was, that, that's been bad. But, you know, what he's done is clearly he's allowed uh, the two, you know, well-informed coaches to continue on their role. And, and for that, he deserves, a, you know, a degree of credit, certainly. But again, I, you know, I think you have to, you know, give credit where it really lays. And that's with, with the two guys. I, I think, you know, we, we saw last year um, that Munster, you know, in those last couple of games uh, at the knockout stages of, of uh, both in um, Europe and in the Pro 12, as it was then, I think they weren't, um, they weren't sophisticated enough in their gameplay. It was too, it was too simplistic. Um, and um, what we've seen at the start of this year is a you know definite movement. And, and I think there's no there was no uh, doubt that a you know a preseason with everybody knowing who the forwards and, and backs coach was going to be um, and allowing them to have an influence has, has changed what Munster are doing. And now they look like a much more complete unit. They really do. They. And they have, you know, the basis of the game is still there and, and still you know, hugely impressive. But there are many, many other elements to their potential elements to their game. You know, they do play a different style than, than um, um, you know, for Leinster, for Leinster, for example, or even Ulster. But they, they play a style that actually suits them, but isn't, isn't limiting, I don't think. Well, Leinster played a different style to Leinster. <laughs> Leinster's usual style probably at the weekend, Jerry, because they had to. Was there any point with the team, was it 14 points down at, at one point, mm-hmm. out half gone? <clears throat> other out half struggling that you thought that they weren't going to win the game did you think they were out of it at any point well yeah you, you when you saw Sexton go off and then you saw that second ball try and Scott Farley being bin in the 17-3 down at home and Exeter responded so well and clearly learned from the first match and they're not English champions for nothing it didn't look good for sure but the way they chipped away at the lead and survived the 10 minutes without Farley and, and got a couple of penalties before half time gave you real belief that they could come back strongly into this game Nasewa, what a what a player he's been! What a signing, pound for pound, must be their best ever signing. He steps in at out half for a few minutes. The last season, he stepped in scrum half, scored a try in one game. I remember. I mean, the the man that he takes over the goal kicking. It doesn't look much of a goal kicking style, but it keeps going between the mm. posts. And they were really composed, and they got their they got their act together at halftime. The coaches clearly earned their corn. They came out the second half clearly with the plan to keep the ball and starve extra possession. They were very patient, very composed, chipped away at the lead, took the one chance, maybe a really well worked try, maybe a hint of a four pass from Dan Levy at the end to Luke McGrath but I thought they're finding different ways to win games without scaling the heights they scaled last season I think they're missing Joey Carberry a little bit in terms of a second playmaker and a bit of inventiveness in the back line but they're finding different ways to win a game and I thought that was a very I thought it was a real marker of a win it's the first time they won their first four games in 14 years that they look like real contenders it would they still need Johnny Sexton there though he's just you know they still missed him Shane, what do you think of the final 10 minutes of the first half? Whatever about the second half when the momentum started to go with Leinster and, and you know, players start to look good because they're all feeding off each other. But when they'd played terribly, everything had gone against them, Sexton off, two yellow cards, but that they still were kind of nuggety and stuck in there. Is that a totally different headspace for a rugby player when you know everything's gone wrong, you know you're not playing well, and yet you still kind of find a way somehow? I don't even know if you call it professionalism or doggedness or what it is, but... It's an unusual and rare uh, characteristic in a team. You know, and it's it's important. It's important you have it, and it's it's I th- it's based around a, a panic, you know, and not the, the, there's a sort of golden rule in, in in rugby. If you get a bad pass, don't throw on a bad pass. You know, don't don't, yeah. don't comp- com- um, compound the error. And that's the kind of team version of that. If things are going bad, don't just lose the heads altogether and make a situation where you can be, you know, you could you could be seven points down at half time into a position where you could easily be, you know, twenty one points down at half time or, or whatever it is. So I think you know there is a is a mindset that you just don't blow up. And from being in those situations, I think there's a there's a comfort in it and you're, you're more used to doing it but I do think you know the most importantly is you don't ever want to put yourself in that in, in that situation and I think they don't want to gain too much comfort from it either because I do think that um, a, a, a more powerful side a, a more developed side a better side 
um, man for man than Exeter were, are, I think we, we could have put a score on Leinster at the weekend and I think it, they, they could have been in trouble. Now, I know Exeter are top of the Premiership. I know they won it, uh, won it last year. But I just don't see them as a, at the moment as the, as an elite European side. They're not in that. Um, they're not in that. Um, you know, uh, sort of uh, top top echelon of, of teams. Um, and I do think I did get the impression that uh, you know if it was one of the top top uh, tier teams that that game might have been over and, and Leicester might never have got an opportunity to to get into it. So Shane, is your main feeling over the last two weeks from Leinster actually that just they aren't playing that well? rather than the victories. Is that sort of your key takeaway? No, I, I think they are. And I think the, the bar probably that we have for the Irish teams at the moment in this, and in this year is, is very high. And I think what we're seeing is moments of, of them playing really well. Um, and I think my feeling is that the Leinster can get to, to a really, really high level this year. And I think that they can compete at the latter uh, stages. Um, but I think they need to look at the at the, the reasons why they are only hitting their straps for, for for small periods. And I think the the thing about them is the I think there's a lot of elements of the game that can be, you know, not that there's a, they're playing terribly, but they're in the moments that they're not playing well. I think there's a lot of areas that are reasonably easily rectified to get to a, a higher standard really quickly. The chief one maybe being which the area that they could fix straight away. Well, I think I have this bugbear about their uh, their positioning for um, uh, for their their, their one out runners, as it were, and I think they become a little bit predictable. They become very um, they become very stationary, and then it's very hard to join um, to generate momentum. I think you know the line out again was a, was a, an issue on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, we we saw how important it was for Munster when they were sealing those couple of balls against uh, Leicester, and, and and Jerry mentioned you know um, Murray immediately recognizing that um, that the opposition didn't have their uh, didn't have their uh, anyone off the tail and and just exploited it for ultimately for a try. Now that that could have happened to, to Leinster um, and a couple of key turnovers and. and it's something that can be tightened up, and and uh, Lancer can can operate better. And and you know, there's there's scrum. There's a couple of scrum uh, penalties, which is unusual for Lancer as well. And you just think, is there a slight little change in concentration this week that meant that they weren't as dominant as they were previously? But uh, I think you know they're, they're the core, you know, the core basis, and they're not big things. But if you get them right, uh, then I think you can, you know, you allow yourself to get into the sort of rolling plays that we see when Johnny Sexton is playing. Because when we don't have, when Lancer don't have any momentum, it becomes very hard to uh, have anything off the set, set phase other than something that's very basic and very readable. And you know, it, it, and Lancer don't have any any tempo in their game to to sort of keep that that uh, momentum going. What they do have is a few world-class players. That's why they got a chance to win this competition. They've got Tyke Furlan, who's a world-class three now. Sean O'Brien, Johnny Sexton, a few others. But they lose Johnny Sexton after three minutes. They lose Sean O'Brien after 55, when he clearly wasn't right. And they wasn't to, right from the start. No. And yet you've got James Tracy, James Ryan, Ross Byrne, and particularly Dan Levy, all making huge yeah. impacts from the bench. So I think... What, What's going on there playing Sean O'Brien when he, he just didn't look right? He looked unhappy. From the start, I mean, I would understand somebody 10 minutes in, but... What, what do you mean he looked unhappy, he just looked, not comfortable? He looked injured, mm. I thought. He was frustrated with his own body in some way. It was, it was hard to say which part of his body we know he's not fully fit at the moment, but... There was only a six-day turnaround as well. I guess they just feel they want their best player. Sean O'Brien is going to play maybe 10 matches for Leinster this yeah. season, or, or 14, say, depending on how they go yeah. in terms of playoffs. But I, I don't understand, say, playing somebody like Sexton, who's a little bit injured, but when you have... Levy and Van der Fleer and all these amazing players to back up Sean O'Brien. I don't quite understand in such an attritional position starting him. Now, maybe it's just something happened after a couple of minutes and he was fine, but it's hard something to know wrong with him. It's hard yep. to know from the outside. Yep. But the point being is they've got the strength and depth of more so than any other team in Ireland, and that gives them a huge chance. Mm. Particularly now, I've coming into three Interpro derbies in an 11-day period, they're going to need their squad. Shane? Yeah, you know, the, the other thing you have to remember is from, you know, with, with a coach's hat on, you don't want to leave Sean O'Brien out, no. and I know there is strength and depth there. But you know, Sean O'Brien is a properly, as Jerry said, it he's a properly world class player, and they do special things, and he wins games for Ireland, and he wins games for Leinster. And he's had a lot of injuries, though, Shane, because he's such a special player. Do you not have to be even more careful with him, given his injury issues over the years? 
Yeah, but you know, you if this is this is the Europe, um, uh, the Champions Cup. This is when you 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 have to have him playing, and that's where you do take the risk. You know, it's it's the other games that you don't take the risk on. This is the one I think that you do, and um, you know, and I don't know whether he had an injury or not, or whether he didn't feel a hundred percent or not. But uh, you know, if you have Sean O'Brien and and you think you can get him on the pitch and you think he can deliver for you, then he's one of the players that you you get on the pitch. We were thinking last week that Ulster could be in, in danger of, well, no more than the other teams, there was going to be a backlash, but there certainly wasn't in their case, Jerry. And it looked like great scenes in Belfast, Les Kiss smiling, crowd going crazy, things suddenly looking quite positive for 2018. Yeah, Harlequins were the perfect visitors. They were um, they jigged their team around. They knew they were out of contention. They tried a few things, scored a few nice tries themselves, and it made for a very entertaining <laughs> game, uh, very high scoring. Yeah, perfect for Friday night in uh, the Kingspan. You've got to admit that Ulster have given themselves, got themselves back into contention. I don't think Wasps beating La Rochelle 21-3 yesterday was a good result for, for Ulster because it brings Wasps right back into the equation now. And I still think they're probably going to have to win both their remaining games, La Rochelle at home and also Wasps away. And Wasps could still be in contention, most likely because Wasps got Harlequins next up as well. So you'd imagine they'll stay in the hunt. But that being said, um, given they don't have an awful lot of power and ballast up front, um, when you get into, into a game like that, a free-flowing fancy game like that, where Jacob Stockdale gets a lot of ball and Charles Piotr gets a lot of ball and John Cooney is you know, kicking all his gold and running the show and Christian Lefano was outstanding on the night. His array of passing and kicking was so inventive and brought so many of those players. They're really going to miss him, but at least he's there for the rest of the pool stages in January. So they've, got, they've played themselves back in with a chance. What are they going to do when he leaves, Shane? Yeah, they're going to be in a bit of trouble. That's for certain. Um, uh, it's not an area that is is, a, is an easy fix to. Um, in you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. But um, you know, as Jerry said, there he's core to what they're trying to do. They have got a a couple of very difficult um, fixtures um, for for the last two rounds. But they're put themselves in a good position and also put themselves in a good position going into Christmas because it's really nightmarish if you are you know you're looking at your chances of of, of getting through to the knockout stages being over before the Christmas break. Then you have and you're going into the um, uh, the interprovincial rounds as well. It just it's not a nice place to be. And so having changed that with two really strong performances over the weekend, or uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, will have changed the entire mood. And I think we saw you know, how, how positive the mood was after the victory. That needs to be harnessed. It's, you know, as we said last week, the consistency needs to remain. So it's important for them, certainly over this Christmas period, to win their home um, uh, provincials, I think. Whatever about you know, what team they put out, the other ones, I think we're going to be in that sort of situation for, for all the provinces. But uh, I think winning their home ones are, are kind of important and to gather some momentum into those uh, tricky um, last two fixtures. Why not just throw John Cooney in there, Jerry? He can do no wrong at the moment. He can do no wrong, yes. Um, when, when Ulster fans were informed that Room Pienaar was leaving and then were informed John Cooney, a second choice, effectively, Connacht scrum half from Leinster was coming to replace him. I'm sure it didn't fill their hearts with glee, but... He couldn't, Moon Pienaar couldn't have done more than John Cooney has done this season. And again, last Friday night, 27 points. He stepped in at that half a few times already. Um, in his own way, it's a very brave move for him to make. He's done it very effectively. And in, some, in his own way, he's almost a player of the season at, at provincial level. You know what I mean? For what he's achieved this season, it's been remarkable. It may well be that he has to switch to 10. They're supposedly scarring the um, Southern Hemisphere market. They don't really have a ready re- replacement at 10. Conceivably, if Cooney was moved to 10 next season with Jordy Murphy and um, Marty Moore joining, also could field a 1-10 to 10 bar hooker of all Leinster players. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll see. Jerry. It's an extraordinary production line Leinster producing at the moment. They've got 13 players in Connacht. They'll have six next season in Munster. They've nine in Ulster and they've got 38 products of their own up in, in the all playing professionally for the province at the moment. Well, what is the short-term plan for out half in Ulster? They're scouring the Southern Hemisphere market, I hear. And failing that, it'll be Peter Nelson or one of the other kids they have up there at the moment. But yeah, they are meant to be looking at the Southern Hemisphere. Um, they don't. I doubt very much they have anybody lined up yet. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Jerry. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, guys. In the final on it again. And the A. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the dirty get off. Get him off the field. That was diabolical. Get him off the field. That's just typical what he is. Get him walking. They don't like it. Walking, come back and got it in bottle. 
sent off. He's going to be a yellow card. A gasp. Ulster are going to be light enough at out half then next year, Simon? As in the next half of this season in 2018. So there's a bit of a yeah, situation for them. And we got a bit of a glimpse into Leinster's future without Johnny Sexton on Sunday. Albeit if Joey Carberry is there, things might have been a little bit easier. And if the replacement at half hadn't also had, had bang to the head, then things might have been a bit more smooth as well. Well, you say that. I mean, Joey Carberry hasn't actually managed to get rid of Ross Byrne as a starting out half when Johnny isn't there. So... I mean, Carberry's been playing fullback, I know, because Rob Carney was injured and Issa was injured. So they were kind of shuffling things around. But, I mean, I don't think it's an absolute guarantee that Joey will come back in ahead of Ross Byrne. And Ross Byrne came in in the weirdest of circumstances. He wouldn't have expected to come on that early in a game that uh, Leinster were already down and struggling in all sorts of areas. So it's about the biggest test of his career. And yet, weirdly, you didn't really get to learn a whole lot more about him. It was one of those games where actually the Leinster forwards probably hauled him back into it and just hard work and tackling and stronger mental resilience so the jury's still out on him a little bit he's ha- he's in great form this year but um, yeah like you say you still feel like Leinster and Ireland's hopes hang a little bit too much or more than you'd like on yeah. sex and getting injured the the HIA on, on that is a little strange as well afterwards Leo said he was going through it the HIA um, and that he seemed fine after he's up and chatting to players so he seemed okay no, we know that means nothing but then Joe Schmidt also confirmed that he passed the HIA so it looks like Hopefully, if we're to go on that evidence, there's no major long-term implications for Johnny. But it just occurred to me watching the game with Johnny going off, Ross Byrne going off, but with head knocks. I don't know if you're watching Steenson every single time he was in the defensive line, he was being targeted as well. There's the Exeter out half. And it struck me just how, what a bizarre position it is defensively that they tend to be smaller, but Johnny Sexton's kind of an exception that he loves targeting the tackle and he tackles high and all the rest. Mm -hmm. But the rest of them just want to survive it. And yet you are the most targeted member of the defensive line and generally the weakest or one of the smallest there. And you just have to kind of go through this process of being this piñata and then it's not really your job. You, the, the rest of your job is being the strategist, kicking kicking penalties, kicking for touch, all those other things. And yet you have this one little compartmentalized side of the game that damages all the other bits of your game, but yet you still do, you probably make more tackles than almost any other position besides maybe the seven. Wasn't David Humphreys a great man for the soak tackle? Is that what they call it? Where yeah. r- rather than trying to do, as you say, Johnny would do and try to make uh, a hit, a meaningful hit, it's I'll tackle this guy, I'll allow myself to fall backwards. I'm not going to stop him, but I'm not going to let him run right through me either. We're, Either I'll just do enough yeah. that I'll stall his momentum a little bit, not get hurt myself, so that I can continue. And he my can get injured that much. Half. Yeah, it's probably uh, not. And, and Ogara injury. actually had the same technique. Ogara actually wasn't as good as it in that he he tend to get run over more than uh, Humphreys would. But I mean, the debate over Sexton obviously is that he shouldn't tackle so high, or he should just absorb it and, and try and survive the whole thing. But it's obviously a personality thing too. It's not just a body shape thing or what your coach is telling you. It's just aggression and Sexton absolutely adores <laughs> that side of the mm. game. As did Wilkinson, who yeah. had the exact same debate you know just save yourself for all the other bits of the game but uh, he couldn't do it we've heard the commentary now let's talk to one of the stars of Moorfield's ridiculous comeback in yesterday's Leinster final Ronan Sweeney never in doubt <laughs> well I have to say there was a lot of doubt when we went six points down and um, when that second goal went in I thought yeah, it's curtain too but um, and especially look we were five points down in injury time so you're thinking Jesus, it's going to take something special here and we didn't really look like scoring a goal up until we did score a goal. So, um, 
yeah, no, there was plenty of doubt. <laughs> yeah, your goal kick-started it in injury time. As you're saying, there was, I think, a minute gone at that stage of the of time added on. So were you still thinking we need another goal here? Because what's the, the most amazing part of all the amazing parts of this comeback uh, is the composure that you guys seem to show after that goal to kick a few points to win it. Yeah, no, I, I look, I think in uh, our series this year, like we've been behind in, on a lot of, uh, you know, a good few occasions and uh, late in games and we came back and, and kicked one or two scores or three scores, whatever we had to, we never panicked. Um, and uh, I think as soon as the goal went in, we got, I got a sense anyway, and I think everyone else got a sense that there's only one, one winner here, you know, and uh, there was never any panic stations. We knew that we had momentum and all we had to do was keep uh, creating opportunities and try to get the ball to Ian O'Connor. <laughs> you need to get over the bar. Uh, your manager Ross Glavin was very funny on uh, TG Cahar yesterday. He was uh, in the post-match interview. He was being asked, you know, what sort of messages are you trying to get out onto the field with uh, you know two minutes of injury time played? And he was like, well, I can't get any messages on. Uh, there's absolutely nothing I can do. <laughs> and as it turned out, uh, the players were able to manage just uh, just fine by themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least he's being honest. You know, I mean, <laughs> some some managers might take the, all the credit for it. And, uh, I made this switch or that switch, but uh, yeah, no. Look, I think from being on the sideline myself the last couple of years in the coaching role, as soon as the players go over the white line, there's not too much you can do really from from where he was. So, um, but he's lucky enough that, that we've a lot of experienced players on the on the team, and um, you know we're, we're we're well capable of managing games, and I think that's one of our strengths this year. Yeah, you're 37 years old, and your performance kind of all day was. Just a testament to all of that. Uh, I'm also 37 years old, Murph, before you start getting all ages. No, 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 that's absolutely not my intention. (laughs) Uh, I'm merely raising your age, Roland, to say that uh, what your performance all day basically spoke to all those years of experience, uh, that you just got on the ball, you did the right thing with it, you just showed a bit of smarts on the field, which, you know, kind of on crappy days weather-wise like yesterday... That just counts for a lot, you know. Is, is that is that leadership? Do you think in a very specific kind of okay? I need to be a leader here, or is it just experience, or is it a bit of both of those things? Um, I think it's a, probably a bit of both, and like it, it, you know, I, I think it's down to the management as well. If they give you a license to kind of make up your own mind in terms of you know whether you say whether you want to go inside for a while, or whether you want to go out in the middle of the field, or whether you want to get your hands on some some easy ball, you know, or try and set up a play or something, you know, and. Um, not just myself, but a lot of us have that kind of free role, if you like, to, to go out and make something happen if it's not happened for, for, for five or ten minutes. Um, so, yeah, I think we've always had that in Moorfield um, down through the years. I think that's been one of our strengths. We're very, very player-driven and always have been when, even when Ross was, was a player himself, which is not too long ago, but he would have been one of the main driving factors in that. The players are the ones that kind of dictate how we, you know, what, what we do as soon as we cross the white line and he's carried that on through to his management side as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to have the extra few years as well on the clock to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to give the younger lads a bit of advice because, to, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about 37-year-old in the pitch, but there's also five 19-year-olds, you know, that's probably, that goes unnoticed, you know, so it, it's great for Mofi for the future that we're in such a good place. You said earlier that you're on the other side of things now as well. You're involved with Keane O'Neill, with the Kildare seniors. Has it been difficult to to marry the two, to to keep playing yourself and to look for this this Leinster club title and hopefully go on a couple more stages? Uh, yeah, it, it, it has been difficult enough this year, now, to be honest. Um, uh, the last couple of years, like when I was in Sligo and, and Waterford, um, we were training on alternative nights, so I was, I was able to get all the club training sessions in and this year has been different. Yeah, the club and the county were training the same night, so I haven't been up as much, been up in the club as much as I would have liked this year. Um, only when Kildare kind of finished up and I was able to go back full time, uh, I, I was able to kind of commit fully. Um, like I think the, the first game I started this year in our championship was the, um, the Port Leash game. Uh, so uh, it was only now that I'm kind of getting, in, getting a bit of form, really. I've missed a good bit so it's been difficult this year but uh, it's worked out well in the end Yeah it's not a bad way to finish I mean have you been uh, well the, the fact that you you say you've only started uh, your first game was against Port Leash so maybe this meant that the time spent on the field getting digs from disgruntled club uh, Kildare club players who aren't in the county scene there wasn't actually a lot of time for people to start punching your head in for not picking you on the, the Kildare team Yeah 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 well it's, uh, <laughs> that's something I really wanted to avoid actually that <laughs> 
uh, I, I didn't really want to be coming up with fellas that you're going to be trying to coach the next week and, and you know and, and I'm not uh, some might say I have a little bit of a temper myself so I could get in the, on the wrong side of somebody and get involved <laughs> in some sort of the situation in the league game or something so I really wanted to avoid that and uh, thankfully uh, nothing like that happened I presume <laughs> the club championship itself where <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there was one or two kind of harsh words spoken at times, but it was all forgotten about afterwards. <laughs> so. I, I presume there the chat afterwards was about how crazy the comeback was, and maybe people were trying to remember similar. Did, did anyone come up with anything in the club? Has the club been involved? Were you ever involved in Kildare with a comeback that happened so late? Um, yeah, well, in in I think it was twenty thirteen, we were five points down against Arsenal with five minutes to go, and. Um, Actually, our manager Ross came up the field and kicked the point and kick started to come back where he kicked five points in a row in, in five minutes and he drew the game and then we won the replay. So we thought that was the, the greatest comeback of all time, you know, <laughs> until we were five points down in injury time to the last day. And I think that's that's top. But I, I never come across anything anything like it really. And I don't remember any other teams ever ever being so much down with so little time and, and managing to, to win it. We've heard the winning. The score of the winning point, Kevin Murnahan, doesn't get many. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. He likes Has he ever got he Addy? To think he's a shooter. He likes to think, he likes to think he's a shooter, but uh, thankfully he was only six yards out. <laughs> <laughs> the lads, I think the lads, were flagging, the lads were flagging him on the bus and he, he bought him that he shouldn't have went for ball. <laughs> yeah, to really finish in style. Listen, Ronan Sweeney, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, best of luck and uh, have a nice break over Christmas before, I suppose, getting ready for the 2018 for the semi-finals thanks a million great to talk to you thanks so much that's great thanks lads thanks a million cheers bye bye that's the question that's going to be answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight no, I think Hawk have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. It's probably best that Ronan avoided the Kildare Club Championship and marched triumphantly into the Leinster campaign. And now we can just go on and win on all Ardemir. What's up next for them? Uh, it's Curfin or Fulham Irish, the London champions. Uh, that game was also postponed last week, but they they've decided to refix that for January the last weekend of I'm January. Assuming Curfin are hot favourites. Yes, they are. But uh, did uh, Fulham Irish do have Owen Mulligan and uh, <laughs> down midfielder from 1994? I'm sure you remember him breaking your heart on that particular occasion. On uh, Greg McCartan. Oh manager. yes. So yeah. there are actually a couple of familiar enough uh, names knocking. Well, I wouldn't worry about who's the manager. Greg McCartan's not going to do any damage. All Ireland final winning uh, pedigree. Yeah. Or if you don't, you, that, that, that stuff does, doesn't leave you, you know. Second Captain's World Service t-shirts are on sale on the website. You don't even really need to go and buy them, to be honest. Just go on and have a perv at the photos of Richie Sadler modelling them. If you're a World Service member, you get a 10% discount. Not on Richie Happy Murphy. Christmas, everyone. Yeah, you get a 10% discount on the t-shirts. <laughs> They're available on secondcaptains.com. Also, for you World Service members, you've got a great chat on Conor McGregor coming your way with Laura Kennedy and Ewan McKenna. I also think, I mean, he's been surrounded by so many yes-men, and to an extent, Ireland surrounded him as one giant yes-man. I mean, we... Are you one of those yes-men? Listen in this week and find out. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Ken. Thanks very thank much. You. Oh, thank Ken. you. Very much. Thanks so much for listening. You are someone with a history of domestic violence yourself. Um, everything has been allegations. You've even been to jail for uh, nothing it. Nothing has been proven, so... You know, that's life. I'm a cold punk. No pictures, just hearsay. Dance with me, boy. <laughs> you are a fucking bitch. Go ahead, Pip. You're the last question. Viva. What are you doing with a school bag on stage? It was your own kids who called the police. I'm half black from the belly button down. Seven separate physical assaults on five different women. You little snaphead. Oh. You can't even read. Yes, sir. Second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home though.